Let's pray as we prepare to turn our hearts to God's word. Pray with me. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time. I thank you for uh, these dear brothers and sisters who are watching uh, all over the Bay Area and beyond this morning. I pray, God, that even in this moment, uh, we would feel a sense of connectedness and a sense of community. We thank you that uh, we are able to, to gather in this way and worship in this way, though it's not ideal, and we believe and trust that you uh, accept our worship this morning. I pray that you would be honored in this moment. I pray that you would quiet our hearts now as we turn to your word. I pray that you would give me the right words, uh, not my words, but yours, uh, to convey the truth and beauty of who you are in your gospel uh, as we turn now to study your word. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are in the midst of us. We thank you for um, your leading in every season. And uh, we ask that you would just give us the courage to follow you. Thank you for your love. Help us to love you more. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Once again, it is uh, just great to be with you this morning. I uh, did this for like a year during the pandemic, actually more than a year, recorded services and sermons like this. And I can tell you uh, it is not any easier today than it was during that year. Uh, just that announcement section that I just did, it took me like eight takes just to get through that. And even the one we did was not that great. So we're now gonna turn to the sermon and we're gonna trust and hope, I'm gonna trust and hope that God will just uh, speak through me in this moment. Uh, miss you all, would, again, would much rather be doing this together with you because uh, really, a, a sermon is a conversation more than a presentation. Uh, and so in my mind's eye, I'm just going to see your faces uh, in, in, in our gatherings together as, uh, as we work through uh, this passage together. So we're in Mark. Uh, the text today is Mark chapter 12, and uh, I'm going to read verses 28 through 34. Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34. I'll give you about two seconds if you've got a physical Bible there. Otherwise, we'll have, them up on, have the verses up on the screen. Uh, and this is what it says. Mark 12, starting in verse 28. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is... Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Do you know that statistically flying is the safest mode of transportation. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm just talking about statistically. Statistically, flying is actually the safest mode of transportation, but that hasn't always been the case, and particularly it was not the case uh, for those who served as bombers in the Allied forces during World War II. And in fact, uh, to serve on a bomber plane 
in World War II for the Allied forces was one of the most dangerous jobs there was. It is estimated that of all the American airmen who served in bomber squadrons, uh, one out of four actually completed their tour of duty. Of those who were serving as, as airmen on bomber planes at the beginning of World War II, uh, only one out of 10 were still alive at the end of the war. They flew long, dangerous missions deep into enemy territory in large, slow-flying planes that were hard to maneuver and that were low to the ground. And therefore, the losses and casualties for bombers that were shot down over enemy territory in World War II were astronomical. Yet, the commanders of the Allied forces, the commanders of the U.S. Armed Forces, uh, believed that the bomber bombing missions in World War II into enemy territory were one of the most critical aspects of their strategy uh, for World War II. And so, partway through the war, uh, they, particularly the U.S. Navy, decided to make some changes. And what they decided to do to hopefully decrease the casualties and planes they were losing in bombing missions in World War II is they decided they were going to add armor, add further protection to the underside of the planes that were serving as bombers. And the way they went about doing this, the way they went about figuring out where to add the armor is they actually brought in a specialist. They brought in, they brought in a man named Abraham Wald, who was a mathematician and a statistician from Columbia University. And as these bombers were returning from their missions in World War II, they began to mark all of the places they had taken fire or taken damage, and then they began to uh, track it. So Abraham Wald created a, essentially a statistical model of all the planes that returned from missions that had been shot at and had received damage and had, had, had gotten back. They, they plotted where the planes were getting hit the most. So after they looked at hundreds and hundreds of planes that had returned from missions, they had an idea of the areas of the plane that were most likely to get hit by anti-aircraft fire. And Abraham Wald's recommendation to the U.S. Navy was what you would probably not expect. We would expect, once they made a model that showed where the planes were most likely to be hit, that he would have recommended you need to add further armor, armor excuse me, to these areas of the plane, which are, are consistently the ones that are hit the most often. That's not what he said. His recommendation to the U.S. Navy for their bombers was to add armor in the places where the planes had not been hit, which doesn't make sense seemingly upfront, but when you actually think about it, it does, because why would he recommend that? The only planes they were able to analyze were the planes that made it home. The only planes that they were able to analyze and enter into this statistical model were the planes that had been able to return from their mission. And so what Abraham Wald determined was that the places that those planes were getting hit were not the most important places. Those were the places where a bomber could actually sustain damage, sometimes significant damage, and still return home from the mission. And so his conclusion was, it is the places that these planes are not getting hit that are the most important parts because none of the planes that went down in enemy territory were we able to analyze. And so the assumption was they were hit in the places that the returning planes were not. 
So his recommendation to the Navy was you need to add further armor to the places where these returning planes are not being hit by enemy fire. What he helped the Navy do in that moment was determine what was the most important part of the plane. He helped them determine what was the most critical thing to not be hit by enemy, air, enemy fire. He helped them determine what was the, what was the central, uh, critical, what was the bottom line for what a plane needed to keep intact in order for it to return from dangerous bombing missions over enemy territory. And that question, what is the most important thing? What is the most important part? What is the, what is the most critical aspect is something that we need to think about and answer in so many areas of our lives. If you work for a for-profit business, and I know many of us in our congregation work for a for-profit business, there's a few of them uh, in this area we call the Bay Area. Uh, there are a lot of things that go into a for-profit business. Uh, you need to have uh, staff, you need to have structure, you need to have um, systems, you need to have uh, a mission, you need to have a vision, you need to have uh, client uh, software, CRM software. You have to have a, a culture at your firm. You have to have all kinds of things. P possibly you need a physical location. Possibly you need manufacturing, all these things. But all of those are less important than what? What we would call the bottom line, and that is profits. If you are in a for-profit business, the most important thing you need above all else is profits. If there are no profits, there is no business, and all those other things don't really matter. If you are a competitive athlete, I'm not talking about a recreational athlete, if you're a competitive athlete, what is the most important thing? What is the bottom line? I think, uh, I think a lot of, you know, someone that a lot of you would consider a friend, the former owner of the Raiders, Al Davis said it best, just win, baby. If you are a competitive athlete, you gotta win. You're doing all kinds of things, right? You're training and you're eating right and you're, you're getting the right amount of sleep and you, you practice for hours and hours and hours on end and you're working on teamwork and strategy and game film and you're watching film and you're doing all of these things, whatever your sport is. But ultimately, at the end of the day, all of those things serve to support one thing and that is winning. Again, competitive athlete. If you're an educator, what is the most important thing? Not tenure. I mean, it might be for you personally, but if you're an educator, what's the most important thing? That you are producing students who have a, a, a mastery of whatever it is that you have been enlisted to teach them in. Because if, if you don't produce students who understand the material, then students are not going to come to you anymore and you're not going to have tenure and you're not going to have an institution and so on and so forth. And we could go on and on and on. But the point is this, in many areas of life, in so many areas of life, it is not just important, I would say it is critically important for us to be able to understand, articulate, and speak into what is the most important thing? What is the, what is the, what is the bottom line? And I believe that's true in, in our faith as well. I believe that it's true uh, in this thing we call Christianity as well. For those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, for those of us who worship the God of the Old Testament and New Testament scriptures, we need to be able at some level to speak into, to articulate, to understand what is the most important thing? What is the most critical thing? What is the bottom line when it comes to being a disciple of Jesus Christ or a follower of God? There is a lot of noise. There are a lot of distractions. Uh, there are a lot of things that are unclear and confusing. Let's just keep it real. When it comes to following God, this, this is a big book 
and there's a lot of stuff in it, and it's it's not all clear. There are uh, uh, 10,000 Christian denominations. There are organizations. There are nonprofits. And the, the diversity and variation amongst them and what they be believe and how they work out their faith is enormous. There's incredible cultural and political and social ideas about what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be an evangelical in the U.S. or, or elsewhere. And so one of the things that I just think is super critical for us as followers of Jesus is to be able to understand and articulate what is the heartbeat? What is the, what is the most important thing? What is the central idea? What is the bottom line? What is the area of the plane that has to be protected? Because if that goes, the whole plane comes crashing down. And fortunately, uh, that's what our text is about today. I think I'm not speaking out of line when I say I believe God wants us to be able to say what we believe, what we understand to be the central, most important thing, what we believe to be the bottom line about what it means to follow him. And I think that's why we get the passage we get that we are looking at today. We're continuing in our series in Mark called Let's Go. It speaks to what is the heartbeat of this whole thing? What is the, what is the bottom line? What is the most important thing when it comes to understanding what it means to, to follow God and to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Uh, we are in the middle of a, a series of questions that the religious leaders and the political leaders in Jerusalem are asking Jesus to not to learn for themselves, but to kind of discredit him, to show uh, that he's, he's a, uh, not who he claims to be. Um, and we get to the final question today. We've had one from the, the Pharisees. We've had last week from the Sadducees. And today we get one of the scribes who comes to Jesus and he basically asks him point blank what we're talking about. What's the most important thing? What, what, is, what is the heartbeat? of what it means to follow God. And Jesus, who very often answers in ways that are not clear and kind of answers with a story that seems unrelated, he doesn't do that in this instant. Jesus just steps up to the plate and answers point blank very clearly, here's, here's the answer to your question. Here's the heartbeat of it all. Here's the most important thing. And we're just gonna draw out two things today, two things that, that Jesus communicates when the scribe asks him, what is the most important thing? The heartbeat of it all. What is this all about? Jesus draws out two things and we're just going to hang out for a couple minutes in both of those. And the first one is this. The first thing that Jesus tells him when he says, what is this all about? Jesus says, God wants all of you. God wants all of you. So uh, the scribes were another uh, highly respected and influential group uh, in ancient Israel. Uh, they were the lawyers of the day. They were the ones who were uh, who studied, knew, uh, and and did their whole like kind of lives interpreting and helping other people learn the law of Moses. They were the lawyers of the day, and this scribe comes to Jesus, and he has overheard Jesus' previous conversations with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and he's kind of impressed. He 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 kind of is like, oh, I I like the answers. Uh, that you're giving. And so he comes to Jesus and he, he says in verse 28, see, see with me there, uh, he says to Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? Now, the scribes had determined that there were 613 rules, regulations, and commandments in the law of Moses. And they loved to debate which ones were the most important. They, 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 they talked about some that were heavy 
and some that were light. And they very often, we have actually numerous examples from extra biblical literature at this time of scribes and rabbis debating what were the most important. And this was, so this is not an uncommon question. They, they love actually kind of your, your medal as a scribe or a, or a rabbi, how good you were was in some ways predicated upon how well you could summarize the law of Moses, how well, how succinctly you could summarize those 613 rules, laws, and regulations uh, into one or two or three of those that were the most important. And so this is what the scribe is coming to Jesus saying, what's your opinion? What, what do you think uh, is, is the most important of all that God gave to us through Moses? And Jesus answers by quoting out of Deuteronomy 6, a passage that would have been very well known to the scribe and very well known to all pious and devout Jews at the time. He quotes what is known as the Shema, which is the Hebrew word for hear. And this comes out of Deuteronomy 6. A pious Jew would have recited it twice a day, uh, morning and night. And this is what he says. Jesus answered, verse 29. The most important is hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Jesus is saying, here's what is the most important thing when it comes to following God. He wants all of you. He wants every single part of you. Give every part of yourself to God. That is what he wants. Now, the English translation here, uh, it, 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 I think, misses a little bit of what is drawn out in the Greek, which Mark was writing in. So the way it's translated, at least in the ESV, it says, and you shall love the, the Lord your God with your heart, with your soul, with your mind, and with your strength. But in Greek, the preposition ek comes before all of those, or excuse me, ex which means from or out of. And so maybe a little bit more nuanced way, uh, translation would be that Jesus says to him, you shall love the Lord your God from your heart, from your soul, from your mind, and from your strength, out of your mind, out of your heart, out of your soul, out of your strength. So it's not so much Jesus saying, use your heart, mind, and soul to love God. I mean, he is saying that, but he's going deeper. He's saying, out of your heart, should be love for God. Out of your strength should be love for God. It should be your, your heart and your mind and your soul and your, your strength should be so full of love for God that it, that it just flows out of it, out of your heart, love for God. And, and what the, we could like kind of get into, um, well, what does he mean by heart? What does he mean by soul? What does he mean by strength? What does he mean by mind? He, just, we don't have time for that, but catch the comprehensiveness of it. Here's the, the idea, the point. Jesus is saying, with every part of your being, with every part of your being, love God. That is the most important thing. God doesn't want just a part of you. He wants all of you. Submit every area to him. Let him totally take over. Uh, now, I love to eat, and my favorite meal of the day is breakfast. And um, I, I love, 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 love a big and beautiful breakfast or a brunch just all of the, everything that goes with breakfast, brunch, coffee, eggs, bacon, pancakes, all of that stuff, just love it. Um, and this is something that Tony Evans talks about. So I, I got it from him. Uh, but he talks about when it comes to bacon and eggs, uh, there are two animals involved when it comes to bacon and eggs. There's a chicken and a pig. Uh, they both are involved in us being able to have bacon and eggs for breakfast. Uh, but their contributions are very different. So when it comes to bacon and eggs, a chicken makes a contribution. 
right? It, 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 it makes, it, it gives a little something towards uh, the breakfast. When it comes to bacon and eggs, the pig, it doesn't give a contribution. It gives its life. So when it, when it comes to bacon and eggs, the, the chicken gives something. The pig gives everything. And what Jesus is saying here in verse 29 in his response to the scribe, when the scribe asks, what is the most important thing when it comes to following God? Jesus is saying, God doesn't want a contribution. He doesn't want just something. He's saying God wants everything. God wants all of you. The, the, the heartbeat of what it means to, to follow God, the heartbeat of what it means to be my disciple is that you lay down everything and give it to God. Every part of you is given over in love and service to God. Jesus is saying God wants your heart and your mind and your soul and your strength, but he also wants your muscles and your tendons and your joints and your bones. And he wants your finances and he wants your vacations and he wants your decisions and he wants your work and he wants your parenting and he wants your friendships and he wants your everything. The, the heartbeat of it all, the one thing that everything else, well, we're gonna, there's two things. Part of the two things that everything else hinges on, the most important thing is that God has all of you. He wants, he wants all of you. And that's very hard for us because we love God on the side. We love God when he's in a little box that we can pull out when we need and put away when we don't. We love God when we're in church on Sunday, raising our hands, worshiping, hearing a great message or an okay message. But we don't, we don't necessarily need God or want God when we're at the office or when we're at the bar or when we're at wherever else we're going. We like God. We like God when we are sitting on the throne of our lives and he is serving us. What's really hard is for us to get off the throne of our life and let God sit on it, his rightful place. And then we are called to serve him. Yet here's Jesus saying that the very key to this whole thing is, is, is that the very key to this whole thing is that we give God everything above all the theology and doctrine and denominations and politics and everything. The essence of following God is total surrender in every area of our lives. God wants all of you. And that is easier said than done. Uh, but Jesus doesn't just stop there. He continues. He gives a, a second uh, essential piece. Second, this is the most important part of what it means to follow God, and it is this. So the first one is God wants all of you. And the second part is live for more than yourself. Live for more than yourself. So Jesus continues in verse 31. He says, the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So Jesus continues along. He quotes out of Leviticus 19.18. And he says the second most critical, central, most important element is in following God is that not only do you devote yourself totally to him, but you live your life in service to other people. You love other people, you serve them, you care for them, you befriend them and you help them. You live for more than just yourself. Jesus says there are two commandments which sum up, which sum up the entire law and this is them. I think it's easy. Uh, we, we, we look at verse uh, 31 and see that Jesus says the second is like it. I think it's easy for us to think, okay, love God is primary, 
all of, all of me devoted to God is first, and then after that is love others. But I love the way uh, Matthew says that Jesus, when Matthew tells his version of this interaction, he says that Jesus actually said a second is like it. So he's not saying that this is the second one, so the first one is here and the second one is here. What Jesus is saying is the first one is here and the second one is here. So we're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We're to give everything we are to God. And the flip side of that coin is we are to love others the way we love ourselves. And so I think what Jesus is saying here is actually the way we interact with others is the evidence of how devoted we are to God. How we relate horizontally shows what our relationship, our vertical relationship with God is like. You will love others as you love yourself. You will live for more than yourself when you understand the heartbeat of what it means to follow God. So I'm a child of the Midwest. For the most part, my wife is uh, as well. Seven years ago, we moved away from the Midwest. We moved to uh, the Boston area. And then three years after that, we moved out here to become a part of this uh, wonderful body called Abundant Life Christian Fellowship. So for the last seven years, uh, we have lived within spitting distance. That, that's kind of a crude way to say it. We've lived close to the ocean for the last seven years. Not on the ocean, that would be pretty awesome, but we've lived close to the ocean and we have loved it. My wife loves the beach. My kids love the beach. I like the beach for the most part. It's the sand all everywhere. Sometimes, you know, it's not my favorite thing, but there, there is something just beautiful and amazing and awesome about the ocean. And so we've, we spent a lot of time over the last seven years going to the beach. And do you know when you go to the beach, there are two types of people at the beach. Actually, there's way more than two types, but for the purposes of what I'm talking about right now, there's two types of people at the beach. Most of the people at the beach are there for leisure. Most of the people at the beach are there to have fun, enjoy a day off, to play in the ocean, get some sun, throw the football on the sand, hang out with their family, be there maybe with some friends. But there are a few people at the beach who are not there for leisure. They're there for work and they're the lifeguards. And so a day at the beach entails a lot of people who are there for themselves, who are there looking down, right? They've got their tent, which is like their little home. They might have a blanket set out in front of them, which is like their little plot of property. And for the most part, they are supremely and only concerned with what is happening in their little square of beach. Their kids, maybe they have some friends with them. Mostly they just want, we, I can say we, mostly we just want people to leave us alone. Don't walk across my towel and drag sand all over it. Don't, you know, don't, don't annoy me. Don't let your kids, whatever, throw sand so that it gets in my eyes. Most people at the beach are looking down. They're just there for themselves. But there's a few people, the lifeguards, they're not looking down, they're looking up. They're looking up and they're surveying the beach. They're surveying the water. They're watching the sky. They're looking at boats. They're looking at jet skis. They're looking at people swimming, running, flying kites, throwing footballs. They are looking out for other people because they are looking, they are looking to do for others what they would want done for themselves. I know they're getting paid for it and it's their job, but catch the picture. They are, they are there to love others the way they would love themselves. So if they were drowning, they would want to be saved. If they were hurt on the beach, they would want to be saved. And so they are there to do for others what they want done for themselves. So while most people go through their day at the beach looking down, the lifeguards are looking up. They're looking up and seeing what they can do, seeing where they're needed, seeing how they can help. And Jesus is calling his followers. Jesus is saying the central, most important thing, like the heartbeat of what this is all about, is that my followers, those who love God, will live life like lifeguards. 
They're going to do life not constantly looking down, not constantly looking out for themselves, not constantly trying to figure out how to keep their little square of the world pretty and proper and just the way they like it. They are doing life looking up. They are doing life looking up and out, taking notice of what is going on, seeing who is in need, seeing what they can do to help, and loving others the way that they would want to be loved themselves. For the follower of God, life is not about getting mine. And that is a radical approach to life, particularly in the West, particularly in California, particularly in this place called the Bay Area. God's followers are not looking out primarily to get theirs. They are looking to, to, they are looking to see how they can love and serve and help other people. It is, it is the bottom line. It is the most important thing. Now, some have interpreted this verse. Jesus says, uh, love others the way you love yourself. Some have interpreted this as uh, Jesus kind of encouraging us towards self-care. Like, make sure you love yourself well. Make sure you take care of yourself well. And that does not, that is not what this is about. That does not get at the heartbeat of what Jesus is trying to communicate here. Because some of us, many of us, I know we've talked about this before, are like, I don't even like myself. Like, I, 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 how can I love others the way I love myself when I don't even feel that great about myself? And here's, here's, here's the bottom line. Here, even if you don't really like who you are, and trust me, like there are a lot of us who have been there or who are there, and it's part of the beautiful message of the gospel is that Jesus is not going to leave you the way that you are. But even if you're like, I don't really like myself, for most of us, we still feed ourselves, we still clothe ourselves, we still give ourselves shelter, we still uh, give ourselves entertainment. We still try and do fun things for ourselves. And so Jesus is saying in this passage, the things that you do for yourself, if you are truly and wholly devoted to God, you are going to look to see how you can help others do those same things for themselves. And, and, and as we kind of come towards, uh, not kind of, as we come towards the end of uh, this message this morning, here's what I just want to highlight as we, as we look at these two the two great commandments that Jesus draws out here in Mark chapter 12. This is why the, our mission statement at Abundant Life Christian Fellowship is to know Jesus and to make him known. It is our attempt, as feebly as we are able, to simplify the things that Jesus says here in Mark chapter 12, verses 29 through 31, when someone asks him, what is the heartbeat what is the most important thing? What is the bottom line of what it means to follow God and to be your disciple? Our best approach, our best, excuse me, our best attempt at distilling that down is to say, we at ALCF exist to know Jesus and to make him known. It is our way of saying we exist to give our lives wholly to God. We are not talking about knowing about Jesus. We are talking about knowing Jesus and to know him is to love him, is to lay our lives down in sacrifice for him. And in doing so, the natural outflow from that relationship is to make him known amongst the people and the places that he puts in our lives and that he puts us in the midst of. We exist at ALCF to know Jesus and make him known because Jesus said the most important thing when it comes to following God is to devote yourself fully to him and love others the way that you love yourself. Know Jesus. Make him known. God wants all of you. And he calls us to live for more than ourselves. Uh, as we wrap this up, I just, I, I love how Jesus, and there's obviously more that goes on here. We don't have time to dig into it today, but I love the way 
that this passage ends because the scribes, virtually every other place that they're mentioned in this gospel and the others are very antagonistic to Jesus. But here comes this one individual scribe and he comes almost with a posture. We don't know how he asked the question, if it was genuine or if he was trying to catch Jesus out. But the, the fact that it says in verse 28 that he saw that Jesus answered them well, that probably gives us a sign that he wasn't totally antagonistic in this moment. And, and, and he gives Jesus this great response. Jesus is like, here's what it is. And the scribe is like, well, that's a, that's a really great answer. Let me tell you how I kind of agree with that. And then Jesus says to him in verse 34, when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And I love that verse because what Jesus is saying is it's not about your theology. It's not about your doctrine. It's not about your understanding of the law. It's not about whether or not you got all the right answers. It is saying, if you can draw near to me, then you will not be far from the kingdom of God. So as we think about these the two great commandments that actually are one great commandment wrapped together. And we think, how can I possibly devote my entire self to God? How can I possibly love others the way that I love myself? I think we find a little bit of a key in that last verse when Jesus says, if you are close to me, then you are not far from the kingdom of God. So as we seek to know Jesus and to make him known, may we together draw near to Jesus. May we encourage each other to draw near to Jesus because as we get closer to him, we get closer to the heartbeat, to the central tenant, to the most important thing. As we draw close to, to Jesus, we get close to the bottom line of what it means to love God and be a disciple of Jesus. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Let's pray. God, we thank you once again for this day and this time. We thank you for your word and how it encourages us, it rebukes us, it convicts us, and it teaches us. And I pray that you would implant in each of our hearts this morning what it is that you had for us. I pray, God, that you would allow us to be a people, both individually and collectively, for those of us who call ALCF our church home, who know you well by, by giving over every area of our lives to you, and who love others well by treating them the way that we would want to be treated. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're now going to transition uh, fairly quickly into uh, a time of communion. And again, would so much rather be doing this in person, but thank God that we are able to uh, celebrate in this way virtually together. So if you have the elements, I'll give you just uh, a few moments to prepare our hearts. I'll sit here quietly while we prepare to take communion. And as we get ready, can I just remind us that God's word is clear, that communion is for those who are uh, have made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So that if that's not you, just invite you not to participate uh, in communion with us this morning. But if it is you and you uh, would like to know more about what it means to follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we would love to talk to you about that. You can reach out to us at info at ALCF.net. If you have something you'd like us to be praying for, you can reach out to us at prayer at ALCF.net. We have a team that it is their joy, and mine included, to pray over the prayer requests we get. Uh, or 
We'd love to see you in person next week and talk to you in person about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ uh, as we gather together again in person next week on the 12th. Uh, let's prepare our hearts for communion. If you will take the bread and hear these words from Scripture. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take and eat. And now the cup. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Take and drink. It's been a joy to be with you this morning. Just a reminder, we're back together again in person next week, June 12th, Bridges Community Church, Los Altos, 4.30 p.m. Uh, now receive the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace until we meet again or until our Savior comes and then forever. Amen. You are loved, you're prayed for, and you are sent.